Welcome to Growing Up Fire with Jamie Coots. Seahawk, it is our commitment to you that you have complete access to the top professionals, industry experts, and products for your fire service. We stand by the service and products we provide. We are proud of our past and we are constantly listening to our customers and exploring new ways to bring better options to the fire service. This is Seahawk. High level, safety, service, security. Please visit our website at www.seahawkservice.ca or give us a call at 1-888-791-4210. All right, welcome to Growing Up Fire, Season 2, Episode 13. I got Mark, Matt, Rob, and Dave all in the house here with me today. We're at FDIC in Indianapolis, and we uh, all took a little bit of a break. These guys got to have a little chick fill, looks like. We're going to do a quick podcast. So thanks, guys. Amazing to have you here and to be talking with you all. Great to be here. Thanks, Chief. Good to be here. It's our privilege. It's, uh, it's kind of crazy who you run into, right? And uh, where you run into them. So I brought my recorder thinking, hey, you know, I'm going to India. I'll grab some great stories and uh, do some podcasts. So you guys are the first one. I got another one tonight and uh, another one tomorrow morning. So really appreciate you guys coming out. Let's start with this, though. Right? For anyone that doesn't know you, let's start with your story. How long you been a firefighter? How you got in this? But give me your quick growing up fire story. Sure. My story is it began back when I was probably five years of age. So when I was living in uh, a small town in Bowmanville, I remember going to school one day in kindergarten class and one of the kids' parents was a firefighter with the, with the town of Bowmanville. So his dad came in with his gears, jacket, helmet, boots, and an SCBA and was doing the old fire prevention talk to all the kids in the class. And at the end of his talk, he was able to pick only one kid to come up to the front and put on the jacket and the helmet. So up went the hands. I guess mine must have been the most, you know, uh, the tall, yeah, the tallest and went up very quickly. So I got chosen, come up there. So I got to the front, got the stuff on. There was a picture taken of that as well by the teacher. And that got sent home with me later and she got developed back in the old days with film being developed back then. That got sent home as a gift, uh, I guess, from my parents to have for little kid in the class and ever since that time I always wanted to be I guess a firefighter and my mom will always tell the story that when we were in church every Sunday she'd be upstairs and she would know it'd be her kid in the basement playing because all she could hear through the floor was this kid doing siren sounds <laughs> the whole entire time through the service that was going on. So she knew that's Mark, that's her, that's him, he's there being downstairs being a firefighter. So it began back then when I was five and it never faded, I guess, up until my uh, later years in life. And there was a time when, when I was in college where uh, I guess I was trying to get hired and was applying and applying and being a young kid, you know, only 18, 19 years old, not having much success. I uh, started also looking towards the police route and started applying to be oh, in the police no. side as well, right? Mark, so kind of no. giving up, yeah, kind of a little bit of a, <laughs> let's give up maybe and try this avenue. And didn't do well there either as far as getting on. That's just too young, I guess was the most common answer, being 18, 19 years of age. But then when I finished college, I moved down to Pittsburgh to uh, take an engineering job uh, down there as a fire protection engineer, uh, design technician. I got on with the local department there because they're looking for people. 
And that kind of reignited that spark of this is where I want to go and want to be. And it kind of brought that back to the forefront when I was uh, young back then. So that's how I kind of got into it back uh, from my time being five up until I was 23 years of age and got on with Cranberry Township down there in, uh, in Pennsylvania. Nice. A little U.S. firework for you. Yeah, Came that's back. right to start. Yeah, nice. that's Good right. Stuff. Right on, Matt. What do you got? Well, first of all, Jamie, thanks for having us in here. It's always great to come down to FDIC and see some old friends again. So yeah, thanks awesome. for having us in. Happy to be here. Yeah, so I mean, I was a lot like a lot of kids that grow up in rural <coughs> southwestern Ontario, right? Small town with small volunteer fire department. You know, one day the chief just kind of approached me because he knew I was I was doing shift work. Like a lot of rural volunteer departments are struggling for guys through the day. So he knew I was shift work. So it was sort of that perfect fit for I was around during the day out of town at night when I was working shifts. So, yeah, I started with uh, Gray Highlands Fire Department. Dave Cal hired me there. She's 21 years ago now. And I did about 10 years with them, almost 10 years as a volunteer, climbing through the ranks, training officer, captain, station chief. And then I had an opportunity to uh, be on contract at Base Borden. So I was a contract civilian instructor. So that was pretty cool seeing uh, that whole side of the house, teaching Air Force firefighters that came in and and then would go to bases all across Canada. Great experience. The people were fantastic. The pay was not. (laughs) So I started applying around and I got a job as a training officer in a career department just outside of the GTA. So I was in there for training, in the training division for uh, about three years, three and a half years. And then I transferred over to suppression because that's where the fun happens, right? Mm -hmm. The fun's on the truck. So I've been in suppression ever since and I work with a fantastic crew there. So I'd never change it for anything. Awesome. Awesome. Love it. Rob sitting over on the, probably the least comfortable couch in the entire planet there. What's uh, your turn? All good. Again, thanks for having us, Chief. Yeah. So similar to Matt, grew up in a small town, Thornton, Ontario. All of my buddies' dads were all volunteer firefighters and watching them go through the town experience, the pagers and running out, that sparked it. Faded a bit in high school, reignited it, signed up for paramedic school, signed up for fire school, got on about 15 years ago, worked as a medic for almost 10 years while being a volunteer, rose to the rank of captain at my local volunteer house in Springwater, and then actually joined uh, Matt and Dave on a medium-sized full-time career department just outside the GTA where we all met. And that was uh, in 2013 where we started this little relationship. And then since then, I actually did the faux pas, which is the best decision I ever made. Love it. I went back to my hometown in a career role and I'm currently on uh, a full-time department there and rescue one with the crew that I will be happy to stay with for the rest of my career. Cool. Yeah. And that's, yeah. Took a jump back. back Took a jump back. Nice. Yep. His mom's cooking. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? It's awesome. No commute. The kids come by the hall. Uh, the nice. crews are fantastic. And it's the same experience I had down at my other career place. It's just, it's everybody in my backyard. We see each other all the time. Perfect. It's literally the definition. It's everything I didn't have by leaving the volunteers is now in my career spot. So nice. it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It wouldn't change the world. Perfect. Love it. Awesome. Dave. Last but not least, <laughs> hi, my name's Dave Connors. Uh, long-time listener, first-time guest. Thanks, Chief, for having us on. 22 years ago, I got my break in the fire service. I come from a small town in southwestern Ontario, Petrolia. I was lucky to finally get hired there. Tried a few times, started in the year 2000. Rose up through the ranks, probably firefighter, captain, deputy chief. I did 16 years with them, and then 
during that time is where I met Matt and Mark and joined the ranks with the Firestar team with uh, instructing and training. And they really encouraged and helped me achieve that end goal, which I wanted to go career. Kind of the same uh, path that, that Matt took where I landed a job in the GTA with Matt uh, in the training division as well. And eventually saw the light, as we say, <laughs> and uh, transferred over to suppression and actually worked with Matt on the floor, same shift. So it's uh, it's been quite the journey. Started a bit late in life, but here we are. I only got 11 years left to go and I can enjoy my time like yourself. There you go. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, you know, it's funny. Every story is about, you know, how to get the job and, and the different struggles we got to go through. And you might've been a police officer and you were a paramedic. And it's funny because I get calls all the time, messages every single day from people like, you know, give me more tips. How do I get on? And you finally get on, you got the golden ticket. You literally have the golden ticket. You got one of the greatest jobs on the planet. And I mean, every day I'll say that this is better than a real job. Right. And people are like, I don't think you should say that around council. I do more council presentations than anyone, you know, and I tell them that every single time I go there. Right. Is, yeah, it's a golden ticket. You got to take care of firefighters. You know, it's a hard job in lots of ways, but it's a fun job. Right. And we're on people's darkest days and we're on people's happiest days and we get to work through all of that. But uh, at the end of the day, it's so much better than a real job. And I mean, I've had lots of real jobs. I, I hated those. Right. People, oh, would you trade it for a suit and a tie and a million bucks? I wouldn't trade it for a suit and tie and 10 million bucks. And I think most firefighters the same way. We don't do this for the cash. Nobody would do this for the cash, right? No. You have to have money to pay your bills. That's how life works. But other than that, I mean, we just, we're lucky. We're five people sitting here that got the golden ticket, right? And we're just riding this uh, awesome career out. So mm -hmm. um, you brought it up, you talked about it, right? You're all instructors from Firestar. You all travel across Canada doing different things, probably down in the States, I'm guessing. So to me, that's cool, right? There's so many things and it's, you know, you're on the internet and the internet doesn't make it easier, right? The internet made being a firefighter one of the most complicated things I can think of. Because everyone has a different acronym, everyone has a different way to do things. And you have to, you know, you got to go through 10 different, you should do it this way, you should do it that way before you find something you're like, okay, I think these guys are onto something. I want to learn more about this and I want to, and then, you know, they get a tricky title. So everyone's like, oh yeah, now we got to, all right, I don't want to say any of them here. That's not, I'm not trying to bash anyone now, yeah. all right, but I want that chance to, to lift up the guys that are still trying. At the end of the day, how much did this job change in 125 years? We put water on fire. That didn't change. We can all agree on that. How we do it, how we transport it there, how we pump it, how we get it out of the ground. I'm sure, that changes all the time. And so I always have the greatest respect for instructors because you guys got to learn all the things that are out there. You got to make up some of the things, right? You've got to get that out there to the masses. You've got to try and, and it's always that struggle to how do I get people to believe in what I'm seeing? Right, and some guys got science, and another guy has science, and another guy has science, and another right, another guy says, "Well, just believe me, I'm a good speaker, so I'm going to do it my way." I was so excited to have this time with you guys to sit here and talk about like all those struggles, and you have to think about hundreds of thousands of firefighters around the world, and they're all sitting there saying, "Who's right?" Right? How do we figure this out? And so for me, you've been to tons of trade shows, conferences. Right. And I just want to give everyone a chance to kind of talk about what's your favorite conference? What's your favorite thing to talk about? Right. What do you love about being an instructor? Well, uh, <laughs> my favorite conference, as you mentioned, Jim, I've been to quite a few. Like we, we've crossed paths quite a bit. The last number of years across country at some of the more smaller venues like FDIC Atlantic or maybe out west in BC, Alberta, stuff like that. 
as well as the big ones. You know, the big ones like FDIC are certainly alluring because there is an attraction of all the big names are there, all the big toys are there to be there. It's a big, big, big production. If I got to pick, I guess, the one that's the most favorite, I would probably go with FDIC Atlantic just because it is a smaller conference that caters to the attendees as opposed to the people coming in to be the speakers and the instructors. So the focus there is really to get those individuals in that area of Nova Scotia to come in because most of those people coming in, that is their training for the year. As far as their budget for departments to spend on for uh, outside training purposes, that conference is it. So they are coming to get you know, the best, I guess, in that case for that weekend. And they're coming in hungry as far as one that knowledge and that skill set somewhat uh, passed on or refined and they absorb it greatly. So I, I like that one because we do get to go. There's a crew, a bunch of us go almost every year and we do a bit of a hands-on track as well as do some lecture speaking on the, um, on the Sunday. I know I find that when we have our participants in our hands-on classes, they're there, they want to learn, they enjoy what we're showing or passing on or refining. And then the same thing in the actual classroom time. And it gives us as the guys teaching also a bit of uh, an enjoyable break from the everyday fire service uh, chores, I guess you want to call it that, <laughs> that we deal with to go there, be with these individuals who want to learn, who want to soak up this information. And then afterwards, we get a chance to, you know, reflect on it. It gives us a bit of a good boost. We have our time to enjoy ourselves a little bit with a, a nice dinner and so on and so forth, kind of relax, refresh a little bit, and then go back at it the next day. So I would say that one for me is the most favorite as far as the uh, conferences that we we kind of go to on a frequent basis. Nice. Yeah, yeah I get to speak there once. Nice. You can't beat anything on the East Coast for taking care of you and making sure you're comfortable and happy. That's you're right. not going to find any lazy firefighters out there. Right? They come That's to right. Work and they come to play too. That's right. That's right. Nice, Matt. I don't know. I mean, there's a ton of great conferences out there, right? Whether it's, uh, you know, Pete Matthews and the Firehouse Gang, you know, they've taken us a few nice places, Vegas and Los Angeles. And those are always fun. You know, the big cities being down here, helping out Kurt Isaacson down at Rock. Like there's just, there's a ton of just conferences with great people at them. But I may have to agree with, with Mark here. On that FDIC Atlantic, I mean, you as much as it hurts you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've never seen three hundred of uh, more dedicated firefighters in your life. These guys and gals are just there. They're they're soaking up everything. They're. It's not like we take it easy when we go down there. We're usually mm-hmm. doing two or three hands-on classes and a classroom lecture. So it's not like we take it easy over the course of a weekend. But, yeah. but man, it's always a blast to go out there and. And help. Uh, it's a special place in Canada, no question, yeah. right? It's, it's different yeah. from other places. Yeah. Yeah, we only get paid for it. That's the thing. And I mean, it's not the best thing. We don't get paid to teach it. So we're coming on our own because you want to <laughs> oh, be yeah. there. It's a good time for us for a break. Yeah. We get to do, we love teaching and so on, meet some new people. But then, you know, we get a chance to relax and enjoy yeah. that kind of environment. Yeah. Rob? Well, I've only been on the Firestar team for about five years. So I haven't done as many conferences as these fellas. Personally, I don't have a favorite. For me, it's a lot of first time still. So this is my first time at FDIC. It's been amazing. These lads brought me down to HROC and let me help out with them down there, which was probably a training career highlight for me. So I don't have a favorite yet. I'm still experiencing them all for the first time, but 
I have a favorite experience, and that was probably helping out with these guys down at HROC at, at Isaacson's location. Yeah, for me, it's more about the people that you're instructing. And right now, that seems to be whether it's your, you know, your volunteer back home or guys on the floor with you. I'm more into the experience right now, still on the journey. So I, I can favorite. see it. That huge smile on your face, right? Yeah, I came to FDIC in 2019. It was the, the first time for me. And we made a trip of it. We went to New York and did everything. Firefighting in New York. And then came here. And like when I got home, I was just like, I need a week off to process <laughs> everything <laughs> I've seen, right? All the 9-11 stuff. Went to the memorial site. Went, you know, just... And then you get here and you get slammed with, hey, there's only like 3,500 booths. Make sure you see them all. Yeah. what like I've been lost more in the last two days than I've been in my entire life right and so I agree that the first times are always fun the first time we got to go across Canada we went to one in New Brunswick where they shut down this whole amusement park indoor amusement park and we're just walking around there having a few beverages firefighters riding on roller coasters and just being firefighters so you can well imagine the okay. stuff that's going on right and I'm just like is this happening is this for real like, <laughs> We're, we're drunk at an amusement park. Best time ever, right? Yeah, it's different every time. Dave, how about you? Like Rob said, I haven't been to many conferences. Uh, FDIC is would be the biggest I've been to. We do have the, the Chiefs Conference in Toronto. Enjoy attending that. Pre-COVID, we had uh, a number of trade shows in Ontario. It seemed to be the, the Sarnia area started off in January, the first one. It progressed as uh, the chief shows next weekend in, in Toronto, which will be last weekend, depending when you're hearing this. And then we had other trade shows in Huntsville. So from the Firestar instructor side of things, plus the M&L side of things that we do as suppliers as well, I enjoy all of them at this point because right. we get to see our customers in one setting. They're coming to us this time instead of us hitting all the fire stations and you know dropping in to visit. So it's nice to, nice to see them come to us. But I, I do enjoy FDIC. We did some hot classes this week, and it was it was a lot of fun. So a lot of stuff. I love to see like you're sitting there and you're talking about things. And so my son's here right now, and we're walking along, and we run into Mark, and Mark and I had been talking about nozzles. I think it was over the last year, and, and I'm just like that connection, that fire department connection is like, oh, we never met, but we were talking on the phone because we needed this certain type of nozzle, and. You know, I guess when you were talking to Ryan, you're like, oh, that, your name is that Jamie, your dad, right? And just like that small of a family that everybody can kind of pick up on that. And you just see it. You're walking around on the trade floor and all of a sudden someone's just like, hey, hey. You know, this morning I'm walking along and, and two guys are like, hey, are you that guy from Hellfire Heroes? And I was like, no, wrong guy. Just walking away. And they're like, no, we're pretty sure. And I was like, oh, this sucks but okay so but you chat with these guys and you just learn about a bunch from them right so one guy from Vermont one guy from Quebec and we're just chatting about and of course we leave that topic I don't like to talk about and start talking about the air fire stations what's Mm -hmm. going on right so you know there you know boom I got two more loyal listeners to the podcast that's it right <laughs> yeah jackpot and so it's uh you know it's just fun to have those interactions and so FDIC is just the biggest example of that when I went to the Ontario fire chiefs it, it was fun too I remember giving my big talk right 35 percent of your town burns down and you're doing the talk and it was maybe my third or fourth one I'm still nervous and right down there in the second row the Toronto fire chief before okay now he's just sacked out it's two o'clock in the afternoon and it, drooling on his own face and I'm making fun of him on stage because I'm so nervous I don't and his wife's giving him the elbow right and, 
it was just like good times, right? It's like, <laughs> I guess this guy's not that worried about 35% of his town being burnt down by a wildfire, so he can grab a nap here. It's all good, right? That's right. That's right. It's just so fun, and it's just a different, like, it's electric. You can get here, and you know, I got a bum knee and a bad back, and I can't walk from here to there, but all of a sudden I'm on the trade show running around like a I'm 20 years old again, and then at night you see everybody limp into the elevator, right? They got their Bengay and their A535, and they're headed up to the room to survive another night. That's right. That's fun. Okay, so let's change topic a little bit. Craziest thing you ever got to do in your career? Nothing's out of bounds here. It could be a call. It could be a joke. It could be uh, something that happened to you. Who's going first? Who gets this one? Everybody's thinking. (laughs) Smoke's rolling in here. The alarms are going to go off. Craziest call, Jamie? Get sure. I'll take it. Let's do it. Well, craziest call may have to be, and I'm going to go back to my volunteer days on Grey Highlands Fire Department, Chapman's Ice Cream in the town of Markdale. I was a part of that one. It's a neighbor town to the two departments we're amalgamating, Fleshton and Markdale. So we were becoming Grey Highlands Fire Department. And uh, yeah, Chapman's Ice Cream caught on fire. That was in uh, 2009, and that was... Three days, mutual aid. We had ladders coming from 40 minutes away to help us out. Yep. Yeah. We drained the water tower in town while pumping. You know, we had four runs of high vol running from the stream that was just down the road from it. And we still ended up draining the water tower. But yeah, that was three days of industrial fires. Yeah. Never enough water. Yeah. And an old, old creamery that had been added on to and added on to. So we... Yeah, we just chased that thing for days. Multiple roofs and walls yep. and different uh, building materials. And everything was insulated. Yeah. Yeah. Of so course, because ice cream plant. Yep. Yep. That's, Plus, you're like super sad. Your favorite ice cream is going That's down. right. That's right. Yep. <laughs> yep. But uh, we came out of that one without any casualties. So Good. no casualties, no injuries. So, yep. And they've rebuilt. They're nice and strong there back in Markdown now. So Beautiful spot. Yep. Love their ice cream. Yep. Didn't hear that. Sure do. Yeah. We had a crazy fun time uh, a year after 9-11. Four of us decided to head down to the, the first memorial the year after. We'd only been on our volunteer department for a year or so at that point. Our deputy chief at that time didn't think it was the best idea for four young guys to load up and head to New York City by themselves. So he, he volunteered to come with us. So I'm sure he wasn't worried about us, but he wanted. Yeah. He knew it was going to get crazy in New York, but that was a very memorable trip. We had the old saying, what happens in New York stays in New York. But our hotel Except rooms, on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but we stayed in New Jersey. So everything in New Jersey is free game. Nice. There's some crazy fun late nights. Uh, we were all new to the service at that point, so it was an eye-opener. And we were able to, in the hotel we stayed in, the lounge on the top floor, we were able to sit and just listen to basically what's going on now. Right. Just hearing stories from all over the country. So it, it was... Maybe not so crazy, but it's very memorable. What happened after midnight, we don't remember because it. Uh, yeah, the whole experience yeah. is just. A, and and I'll, I'll say that anyone that has been to New York can kind of immerse themselves in that, right? We got to go to Memorial as well. We got to stop in at uh, Rescue One, right? We got to stop in at uh, Engine 10, which is right across from Memorial. We got to go to some firefighter bars. And like the firefighting world is so massive. We all operate in this little section of it that's our, you know, your home station, your your home area. And then some of us get lucky to travel around the country and, and see a bunch of stuff. Some people get even more lucky and travel around the world seeing stuff. And the farther you go and the more you see, the bigger that this fire world gets. 
And so I go to the smallest little fire departments, 10 firefighters on a reserve protecting 500 people, and they just don't know what they don't know. The fire service is so big, but where they are, it's so, so small and so tight. And so, you know, they're fighting to get two nozzles instead of having one nozzle, and they're fighting to get 500 feet of hose instead of having 300 feet. And so they don't understand, you know, and then you're at FDIC on the floor and you see a lay flat uh, with source connection, 12 inch supply line. And you're like, yeah, okay. Or that, that's, that's quite a bit bigger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing about the things that stick in your mind, right? It can be a crazy call. It can be uh, a place you got to visit. It can be something that you got to instruct and you just, you know, touch somebody so personally that you're like, I can tell that that person gets what I'm saying and I just changed their career and maybe saved their life, right? And so some of that's cool. Yeah. Well, you know what? Kind of what sparked is just when you were saying about you don't know what you don't know. I was in fire truck rollover in 2009 as a fairly new firefighter and we only had minor injuries, but the truck was a complete write-off and it was actually returning from the call. And it just, that and coupled with a couple fires that I had there as a brand new guy, I didn't know what I didn't know, but there were a few instances where there were some close calls and that always stuck with me as that's what started my thirst for information and to figure out what I don't know. And that's what really started this whole journey. So I think you just bringing that up there sparked that in my, in my mind. Nice. You know, it's like we all talk about it, right? That always learning, always training, always trying to better yourself and move forward. It's not just shit people say. Mm-hmm. That's the real, the reality of this job is, and that you just can't know everything, right? I get asked all the time now, I finally got to that point where people are coming to me for advice, you know, big fire departments, small fire departments. There's just so many things where I'll be like, you know what, I can't talk effectively on that. Mm-hmm. I have a friend, right? In the fire service, right? yeah, I've got a friend. Exactly. Yeah. The guy's a genius about what you're talking about, what you asked about, but I'll, I'll stay in my lane. There's certain things that I've done well at and progressed and, and got to go through to learn and I'll stay in that lane. And even in that lane, we'll get to some things where it's like, hey, I'm not gonna talk about what it's like to be the fire chief in Calgary, right? I've never did that, I don't know, right? So, you know, if you're talking big city stuff, with you know, 20, 30, 40 firehalls, I, I got a guy, I'll hook you up with him and he'll be happy to talk to you, but it can't be me, right? And so, you know, when you talk about learning and things, I think that that's probably one of the craziest things I've had to learn in this whole process is that you have to pick a few things and be really, really good at that. And it kind of goes as your career goes. So when you're new, you're trying to just be a good firefighter, not get killed, not kill anyone else. Right, then you get to be a driver, so you're running the pump and you get to know a lot about the pump, right? Maybe you get into a specialty, you're doing the ropes, you're running hazmat, you're on water rescue, and you never really lose all the stuff that comes behind, but you're not proficient, you're not the best at that anymore, and you move on to the next thing and the next thing. And then sadly, you get up to the officer position. And the frustrating part, I think, for everybody is then you're really focused on that. Now I got all these, all the pressure of keeping everybody safe and making the right decisions. And, you know, it's not a democracy. It is, I'm telling you what to do and you're doing it. And so you're so focused on that, that you start to lose some of the tactics, right? Mm-hmm. So you're now you're in a strategy and you're really, you're good at that. And you start to get to the end. I'm only 50 years old, so I'm still probably 15 years away from it. And if I started to think of all the things that I'm not the best at anymore, it's a depressing thought. Right. I mean, I, I can't, I'm not going to go kick a door in and put out a fire. And, but I know thousands of people that are the best at that. Mm-hmm. 
right? I'm not going to jump in the truck and go scream into the call with five other lives on the line as we're riding down there in the phone. I'm just going to go and pick up by myself and handle it, right? And so for me, that lifelong learning, I think part of that is just realizing that you can't know everything about everything. If I came to one of your classes right now, I'd probably be the worst student because I'd be asking a million questions because I'm almost relearning what I knew 20 years ago, right? I was probably okay at it 20 years ago, but today I wouldn't be as good at it. Sounds um, reps. It's yeah, it's so hard, right? Yeah. And then you got to just learn that you stop trying to be. And I can remember physically sitting in my office saying, "All right, I'm not going to be able to give, be the best at a thousand different things. So what can I be really good at?" And just pick those. Yeah. I guess I'm the last guy here. So craziest thing, well, calls are calls. And that's, there's lots of crazy calls. I know I've gone on in my 23 years so far, but I think for myself, one of the more crazier memories I've endured was going to actually India to speak at a conference out there. And it was my uh, second time going. So I'd gone the year before for a different conference to speak at. That was uh, kind of crazy too but the second year was i guess the more memorable one that i can think of because that was actually produced by fire engineering and that's what helped me to kind of get into the dfdic speaking circuit because i was sponsored by fire engineering at the time that conference and chief halton was there so after my travels to india getting there was crazy enough as far as the going you know, flying non-stop to dubai from toronto on a big a380 double decker plane and then you know lay over in Dubai for a couple hours and then flying from there into India. And then once I got to India, it's like, this is a whole different world that I'm, I'm now dealing with. It was wickedly hot and humid. So getting to your hotel and getting checked in and all that fun stuff, and just seeing that environment of India as far as different cultures, different levels of poverty and so on and so forth. But then going to the conference, I was there with other panelists that are mostly from, from India, but a couple of us were from North America. It was time for me to speak my little session. And uh, as I got to the front to uh, speak, I turned around and there's Chief Halton in the front row with his camera videoing no me pressure. speaking. Yeah, no pressure. <laughs> so there's all these Indian nationals sitting there listening in their military uniforms and whatnot. And then there's this one guy's like, there's Chief Halton. <laughs> He's got a camera focused right on me. So I you know, just went and did my thing. And after I was done, the crazy part was being asked by Chief Holton to come into the, I guess, the, you know, the green room in the back of the conference hall and have a little chit chat with him and the chief of the Mumbai Fire Service. And then having a little like little one on one half hour kind of talk and then being asked by Chief Holton, hey, come tonight to dinner at my hotel, you know, have a private dinner with you know myself, him and um, the VP from Fire Engineering. That was that was for me. My mind thinking I'm sitting here at this dinner table in the middle of India, in Mumbai, with Chief Halton and his boss, and it's just the three of us, and I'm this little peon guy of a nobody, <laughs> but here I am at this table, it's like, this is crazy. And that's what kind of helped to, to get things going in the uh, FDIC. Very fire circuit. service yeah. was all in one room. Yeah, <laughs> and there, there am I, this little, this little ant <laughs> at the table looking for scraps and saying, yeah, here am I, you know. But that, that was crazy for me in my in my mind. That was so awesome. Yeah, that, I just can't imagine, right? The overpowering feeling of all of those things and, and what's going on. So, yeah, awesome. Acres Emergency Vehicles, a message from our community. A person who is risking his or her life to save the lives and properties of others deserves something as reliable as an Acres Emergency Vehicle.
This is our mission, to thank these people with the best gift we can, our best effort. Our commitment includes a firefighter-driven design, manufacturing integrity, personal and professional service. We are here to serve. We guarantee personal and professional service every step of the way. Acres Emergency Vehicles, built for a life of service. Please visit our website at www.acresev.ca. I got in my hand that no one can see the tactical firefighter. I'm going to give you one guess, everyone listening, who wrote this book? Super Dave. (laughs) So this book's just available. It's just out. I picked mine up at Fire Engineering this morning so you guys could all sign it. I'm going to take it back. I'm going to show it to the guys at the hall. We're going to have them go through it, and we're we're going to talk about a lot of this stuff in this book. It's not easy to come up with topics. It's not easy to come up with the information. I was reading in one of your posts, I can't remember whose, but you were talking about it's different to sit at the front of a classroom and talk. It's different to be there and do the hands-on stuff that's required when you're an instructor compared to putting pen to paper and trying to write down what you're trying to say and make people understand. And so I haven't even had a chance to read this yet. I'm going to, I'm absolutely going to. And I'll be putting this up on all my social stuff so everybody else is looking at it. But let's let's talk about the tactical firefighter and what it means to each one of you to see your name on this book and to be a part of a process, you know, and stuff that's going to affect the fire service. This is real stuff that's going to affect the fire service. More than 100, 200, 1,000 students, a book is forever, right? It's written. People are buying it from fire engineering. Mm-hmm. No pressure. I hope it's good. I can't wait to read it. <laughs> well... It's been uh, endorsed by some big high names. Uh, Chief Kurt Isaacson wrote the foreword for the book for us, so he loved it. We gave him a copy of the manuscript when looking for who could write the foreword for us. That was the litmus test for us, was when he got that manuscript and was willing to look at it in uh, hopes of being able to write the foreword, and he came back afterwards saying, guys, I love this book. That, for us, was like, we got it. Like That was a big endorsement. Not in terms of going to sell lots of copies, but the fact that if a giant of that perspective could read that and say, I love it. This is exactly what every firefighter should have in their hands when they're both in recruit class and in the station. That speaks volumes for, I know, for myself and for us three here as far as that we got it. Like we, we hit a home run, I guess a home run with putting this together in this little uh, little text here. Nice. Yeah. All right. The title again, The Tactical Firefighter. Yeah, so we kind of looked at, and there's lots of great textbooks out there, right? So there's there's great textbooks, but we wanted to take it sort of, and I'm not even going to say one step further, Jamie. I'm going to say one step to the side of that. So this is a real feet on the fire ground, tips and tricks, low manpower, how to be effective, how to be efficient at your job. And I mean, we'll be the first ones to tell anybody 95% of the stuff that's in that book is not our ideas, right? But it's stuff that we've learned from going coast to coast, going to conferences, having a tasty beverage with guys and talking shop, right? So it's all sort of this culmination of stuff that we just sort of brought together as this is the stuff that unless you sit down and talk to a guy at a bar in Indy, you're never going to learn. We got to get that information out. So we started writing it and man, it's a, 
it's a daunting process, right? Because it's in your head and it makes sense in your head, but it doesn't make sense when you're trying to type it out, right? So to try to get it the, on the, the, good on news the paper. The for the firefighters is there's lots of pictures. Yeah. 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 So there's, yeah. there's a lot of people that will look through this book, right? Yeah. There, there's a lot of people that will read it, right? There's no math that I can see so far. So, I mean, that's a bonus for firefighters. It's so cool, right? It's like, it goes back to that part where I was talking about you know, you can talk and you can talk and you can talk and you don't know if you're making a difference. When you see something like this, right? I mean, I'll read it and I read a lot. I read a lot of books. You'll see me saying, read this book, check this book out, lots of leadership stuff. But what I love is I'll read through this and there'll be some situations that come up in the fire hall and I'll literally turn around, I'll grab this book off the shelf and I'll hand it to someone and I'll say, you should go to the section on fill in the blank coming up here and read what these guys have to say, right? And whether you made it up yourself, you learned it from someone else, doesn't matter. Learning's learning, you've got it, you've put it in there. And that to me, I'm not gonna say yet if I love the book, right? I'm guessing <laughs> from talking to you guys that I'm gonna love it and it's gonna be the thing. Yeah. But when I start taking it off my shelf and handing it to firefighters and say, you gotta read this book, you gotta read this section, that's when I'll know that, right? And 20 years from now, this will be this worn down nub of a copy, you know, and you'll probably have a bunch of other books by then that are sitting there with it. And that's like, when you write it down, mm -hmm. when it's a book, yeah. right? Well, I'll tell you how that came to be. So this is actually, the structure of that book is actually a PowerPoint thing we put together for a presentation called Doing More With Less. And so we delivered that, Matt and I, a couple of times. It was out west in BC, it was the first time we did it at the uh, BCTO's uh, conference. And it was like a two hour lecture. So it was called doing more with less. And we actually had it broken down by firefighter in general, and then like how they can be the best tactically and so on and so forth. And then driver, what can the driver do? What can the engine company stuff can do? Truck company stuff. And so we had that all broken down in a PowerPoint presentation. And that was basically the construct of the book. So we had all the ideas on a PowerPoint slide, you know, in a big program, it was now a matter of taking all of that and expanding and adding more in and putting into actually text on a piece of paper. And how this came to be was because of the pandemic. COVID-19 hit, right? The world shut down. <laughs> and I remember being in my dad's basement in St. Thomas under quote unquote quarantine because of my uh, previous department short-sightedness. While they're doing nothing and being bored, I thought, you know what, let's write this book. This is the perfect time to sit here and get paid to write this book. So I, I wrote the book in the basement of my dad's house, like a couple of chapters, and Matt and I were talking. So he he wrote was writing his chapters uh, at home as well. And uh, that's how we kind of got this project going. And then we roped in Rob a little Sucker. bit later on to, <laughs> to say, you know, let's get this guy involved because he had a passion for this and for a particular part of the book. So he wrote the, the chapter in Quince and stuff. That's his jam, as he says. So we wrote it during the COVID-19 pandemic. We had the time to do it because there's nothing going on. We we're just sitting there at home doing doing nothing. That's how it kind of came to be. So, so Rob, you, you look at this book, you see it on the front. Your folks are buying the book. Your family's buying the book. Your firefighters that know you are buying the book. What, what's that like? It's crazy. And again, these guys, they asked me, I was like, wow, blown away. Right? Of course, yeah. And the way I kind of approached it, which I'd never done anything like this, I kind of found it a bit challenging to kind of, again, connect with the paper from what's in my head. But I was on a pretty, um, what was known as a bit of an aggressive Quinn company at my old full-time apartment in the, just outside of Toronto there. And it was really a culmination of all the kind of switched on guys from all the four shifts and how we wanted that truck to operate. 
And if you were from another hall coming in an OT, this isn't the normal tower ladder. This isn't a normal pump or engine. So how do we take quickly, get you up to speed on what's expected if you're back right seat and what we're going to be doing. It might not be what you're used to downtown on ladder one. Right. So it was, it was kind of like that Avenue. And then when these guys asked me to add in on that topic, I was like, yeah, and now I'm not on a quint. I'm on, you know, rescue one different department. (laughs) It was amazing. This whole experience has been amazing. And I kind of took it also from the aspect of I've experienced a ton of stuff through Firestar and with these guys that, the average firefighter back home does not get to do an experience. So I basically took it as if we're custodians of that knowledge and these experiences, how do I bring that to the guys who can't come here and do this? Right. And there's, or don't know yet. So if we can open up that, so I'm going to shout out my two Kurt Mantel and Marcel Perot, the three of us really all brainstormed on that when we were on that truck. So it was really without them even knowing they were a huge influence on me with that chapter and then our two new guys back home they're just sponges and they're they are who that's for in my eyes right yeah and i love it and i can't thank these guys enough so you guys are on the book i'm sure hundreds of people read it for you read chapters gave you feedback people helped you produce the book right yeah absolutely yeah it was a lot of uh, a lot of hands involved a lot of throwing out sections to to friends and you know does this make sense or and of course, when you put the fire engineering, they put through their own gauntlet of reviewers and people too. So it's got to be, you know, they're not going to produce garbage. So they want to produce the best because that's who they're catering to is the best of the fire service. And so they go through their gauntlet process of reviewers and so on. Mark Hoff and Chris Barton with the two main contacts we dealt with there. And they pass it off to, you know, their own people who they would say, hey, just read this and give us your thoughts and feedback on it. So they did. They put their comments on and say, yeah, great stuff, or maybe change this here, add this here, or take this out, or re- you know, rearrange this here and there. And, and the funny thing is, is that you know, it's supposed to be anonymous with who does that, but after it was done, I found out because a person approached me saying, hey, you know, I, I reviewed your book, it's awesome. And this is a fire chief, Jim Silvernail, is a guy actually who, who proofed it half a fire engineer, and he was like, yeah, I like it, it's awesome. And he had good suggestions and comments for us to use to, to make uh, the proper changes to make it what it is, but uh, he said he loved it. It was like going to FDIC over a span of 20 years, but in a matter of reading it in a single text in nice. an hour or two. Or so. I'll tear through this on the plane ride home, yeah. so I'll be, uh, you'll hear from me. In short order. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited. This I, book I, sucks. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're either going to love it or it's going to be propping up a credit <laughs> yeah. table, no, right? No, no. <laughs> It'll probably just take me back through all the pieces yeah. of my career. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the whole point of this kind of stuff. So. But like Matt said, and you kind of led to, into this in the beginning, that you're doing podcasts to pass on something to your grandson. Well, this book is what we, I guess we can say, is our memorial to those who have taught us. So I can remember back when I began in Cranberry Township, Pennsylvania, being taught by guys like Jim Crawford from City of Pittsburgh and what he impressed on me and, and Ed Farley and Jim Ellis and guys like that. And then being able to be taught by other guys like Mike Champo and, and Mike Dugan and other big names, John Salka back in FDIC way, way back when he was doing the survival program, being taught by those guys and all those skill sets being passed on to guys like me and then so on. So all that's like a, a memorial to them saying, here's what you've taught us. And now we're going to pass it on to 
other people by putting it, you know, in a bit of a, you can find it all in one spot right here. Kind of deal. I love it. And and there is always those, you know, there's certain books you read and, and certain things that impact you in a certain way. And, and people were making fun of me a few weeks back on my feed because I was read some Brene Brown book and I was giving some comments on it and I was talking about leadership and everyone's like, what? Like of all the books you can read on leadership and fire service. And I was like, yeah, whatever, read it. If you read it and you don't think what I think, then that's fine, but read it first, right? And so, yeah, I challenge everyone out there, you know, get your copy of the Tactical Firefighter and read it and share it and pass it around to guys and give you some feedback and, and talk about it because, I mean, that's the whole point, right? This is what I love. I, I don't have to go and try and find a class where you guys are in. I'm going to get a little piece of your brain right here in this book that I can read and pick up and hand off to people. And, and exactly. It's, it's that kitchen table talk. It's the... You know, tailboard talks. It's the let's go to the bay a minute because I got something to show you. Talks, all in one book. That's what we wanted. Love it, love it. So pumped. Glad I got a copy. Glad you guys signed it. Right? Oh yeah, you bet. It's awesome. It'll be around the fire hall, and we'll be talking about it again soon. All right. So the tactical firefighter. Get a copy. Check it out. You get to go across the country, right? There's things that make you happy. There's things that make you sad. There's things that make you wonder. What are they doing? What is this thing? What's the, there's equipment that comes out and you're like, what the, I opened up this thing the other day and it was a cellar nozzle, $1,200 cellar nozzle in this little bag that someone had bought. And it was in this small, small place in Manitoba, which basically uses all hydro for everything. Like they don't really, there's not even how many places that have fireplaces or, right? And there's all these different, and it's this crazy, tool that they have that's really expensive and it's sitting in this bag and I pull it out on my desk and I was like what's this for boys no one not a clue right 1200 bucks in a bag in the truck that doesn't have a checklist and they don't know what it's for or, <laughs> or right and so I'm looking it up and I'm phoning around and I'm like what is going on so to me that's my most frustrating thing as I travel across the country most I work mostly in western Canada all right, a little bit up in the Yukon. And I just find so many places where they've grabbed a catalog and bought a bunch of shit, right? Just like the fanciest, flashiest. They don't even have good nozzles. They're not even keeping up there. They don't even have good hose. And yet they're buying this flashy stuff that's on the internet or in a catalog or, or some salesman sadly showed up and, and sold them. I go across country, that's what frustrates me. You know, let's meet some minimum standards. Let's have the good equipment to keep us safe. And let's save all the fancy dancy crap for someone else that probably has a need for it, right? If I go into a small town and every place there's a chimney smoking and you're gonna have some special stuff to fight a chimney fire, great, that makes sense to me. If you're in a place where there's two firefighters in those 600 homes and you're gonna have some fancy thing for a chimney, I don't want you to have it, mm. right? Is there a reason to have a cellar nozzle? Absolutely, is there a reason to have different nozzles, different streams, different flows, different pumps, yes. But if you don't even know what the reason is to have all those different things I said, don't have them, right? Take a few steps back. And that's why I love sitting in a room full of instructors, right? Because you're the ones out there on the front lines trying to make sure that people even know, never mind the minimum standards, but any standards. Mm -hmm. Just follow some standards, right? Get good at that and then Right? You've got courses, everything from basic firefighter up to the very top levels of, of the highest that it goes in the fire service. But you got to know where you fit in there. When I travel the country, 
that's what disappoints me about the fire service. That's what disappoints me about the people that are out there trying to sell right now at this big conference we're at. And I do, I walk around and I go, you know, the odd place, it's like, what is this? What are you selling people? And you're selling this $40,000 thing to someone that doesn't even have the proper $1,500 nozzle. Yeah. And it's disappointing, right? So it can be stuff like that. It could be trucks. It could be whatever. When you guys travel across the country, travel around the country, what are some things out there that make you happy or sad or mad about the fire service? Let's start over here. We're going to make Dave. Oh, I was just going to say, Dave. <laughs> Mark's like, whew, it's not me yeah. this time. We're going to flash over to Dave. We just woke him up from his nap here. We're yeah. Gonna... Yeah, my name's not on the book, but I'm pretty sure I voted for that cover photo. Ah, nice. Uh, I went to the group. Really, I think know? that's the one I picked. Yeah. yeah. Sad, bad, happy, unimpressed. I think in general thing that makes me sad, I would say across, uh, I only get to travel across the province. But is uh, for in the volunteer world, recruitment and retention is difficult, and it's it's the same from all the as we travel and service our, our customers through uh, the training side and the the vendor side through MNL. Every department has a hard time finding recruitment and then retaining that. They set up multi-station response for simple calls, you know, a CO detector going off at either. Two o'clock in the afternoon, at two o'clock in the morning, and they're sending two, three different volunteer departments, hoping to get a handful of everybody to complement one truck. On the career side, even recruitment, it boggles my mind how uh, department we work for uh, when we do a, a hiring. You know, we're fifteen hundred plus applicants. How that gets chopped down to a handful to even interview. And to see many of our friends who've been trying for years that even work with us training, trying to go full time and don't even make it past a simple written exam and then seeing who gets hired. And it just it blows your, your mind. Building a team. Right? Yeah, <laughs> it, it is hard. So it's it's nothing new, but it's common and it's disappointing that, that like this is the best job in the world. And on the volunteer side, places are having a hard time. Volunteers. 30 years ago, we were, one of the things we were the proudest about was that we had so many people applying, we couldn't take them all as a volunteer service, right? Now, that same service, fast forward 30 years, they can't get anyone to apply for the few jobs that they have. And so I'm with you for sure. It's a, it's a real thing and we're all coming up with different solutions, but there's no golden bullet there to shoot this thing with, right? Like this is, uh, we just got to keep working on it. My turn? Yeah, you're up next, Rob. Sorry. Saddest thing for me, I think, is watching guys and girls who are into the job lose it. Like, it fade away. My boy, Steve Higgins, he's had the new recruit class where I work. He's had them write who they want to be as a firefighter in an envelope. And those recruits are going to look back at it in one in five years and see if they're still on the path towards who they said they wanted to be and who they promised the chief when they hired them that they were going to be. When you hear stories about, oh, man, that guy was a switched on guy 20 years ago. Now he just doesn't even take his gear to the bag. I think that's the saddest for me because that guy probably has a ton of knowledge that I want to suck up and it's just not there. doesn't want to do it. And so the sad part of that for me is what happened to that guy over those 20 years that he's not the most switched on guy anymore. And he's not the, because it's not, I mean, you look at the number of years just in this room and everyone here is still excited. We're still fired up and we're still doing the job every day, but you do see those guys that fade away. Yep. And so, you know, what are we doing to them that they're just fading away?
All right, me, eh? <laughs> well, what makes me mad? Touring around the country and seeing cheap equipment. Like, really cheap equipment on fire trucks. And I get it. Not everybody's budget can allow to buy all the Cadillac equipment for everything. But, you know, this is life safety, right? Everything on that fire truck is a piece of life safety equipment. And if we buy crap, it's going to show up in the performance. So, right, we don't always have to buy the, the best of the best, but there doesn't need to be crap on fire trucks anymore. That's what happens when we're competing with graders and arenas. Eh? I'm sick on those too, but... <laughs> yep, yep. What makes me happy? Makes me glad. Well, I like seeing those those rookies when they come in and you can just tell and it's not everybody in the class but you can tell there's usually one or two and they just have that little spark in their eye right and you just know that they're going to be the ones that are thirsty for knowledge and they're going to be the ones that are asking the the hundred questions because they want to know they want the answer they want to suck up that information so they're the ones that are going to carry on we took it from those who came before us and and we pass it on to those who are going to come after. And, and so they're the ones we're passing this on to that are going to continue those traditions of, of learning and getting that knowledge out. So those are the ones that make me glad. I guess on my travels, what really frustrates me is uh, people's inability to know exactly why they're choosing or buying a certain product or a certain type of package for their, say, hose and nozzle or truck configuration. They're buying it or choosing it based on someone's recommendations, but they have no clue as to why that's the best one for them. Why does it work for them? So education is not there for, on their behalf because they have, haven't have themselves sought out to see that education, what it is, like why pick that type of hose, why pick that particular nozzle, or why particularly choose that kind of fire truck or, or configure it in this way or your other things. And just that lack of education, that lack of being able to stand upon a reasoning for themselves is frustrating because I guess you know, the three of us here are kind of blessed with, you know, we work full time as a firefighter. We, we do a lot of teaching, but we also on our days off sell fire equipment. So we see all three sides of the spectrum and we see that inside world of people buying things and having, having no clue why they're buying it. It's because this sales guy said it's the best thing out there, so we buy it, or it's the cheapest, or it's the trendiest. Or it's the end of the year and we got to blow this Correct, right? right? But they're not buying it because, hey, this is going to suit our needs for these reasons, you know, uh, building construction or manpower situation. That's not on the table at all because of other reasons. That's really frustrating, I guess, from an instructor perspective to see that when you're traveling around. Yeah. On the plus side, what makes me uh, you know, happy about what I see in terms of uh, traveling around is seeing people who have been in our programs or been in a, in a class or a lecture or you've taught at a recruit class and seeing them years down the road in other positions as they're moving up and progressing. And they will come and say, hey, you know, I was in your, you know, you taught me back in you know, this college way, way back when, and I remember that and so on and so forth. And now they're a training officer or they're, they're an, you know, an LT or a captain here and there, or a deputy chief or fire chief someplace. And there's been a point where I've had a bit of impact in that as far as where they're at today in some small ways that's kind of nice. gives yeah. me a little bit of a you hope 20 years from now they're sitting around here doing a podcast talking yeah, about maybe. Well, yeah. that jackass you know yeah. did, yeah. told me yeah. this I got that copy of the tactical firefighter yeah. 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 that was the Long worst thing ever <laughs> <laughs> it all went down from there yeah 
Nice, right on. Okay, guys, we're kind of getting to the end here, but I want to do the lightning round, which is uh, today I picked uh, Magic Wand. So you're going to get to tell me one thing that you would change in the fire service. Money doesn't matter. Politics doesn't matter. Nothing matters here. You got the Magic Wand, and you get to pick what you would uh, change. We're coming back over here, Dave. You get to be first. You're the, you're the first guy with the... The, the, the future of the Full Flex Auto X program coming out in the near future with the company. Hire the best of the best. I want the best heart surgeon, so I want the best firefighter. Period. Uh, Magic Wand, back to basics. Ditch the online. Back to basics, let's do aggressive search, four stores, stretch lines, and let's leave the show and fancy stuff for a bit and let's get back to what the fire service is about. I feel like I'm going to read that in a book. That's <laughs> 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 cool. It's awesome, Rob. Magic wand. I want every rig to have exactly the right equipment on it. Not too much, not too little. I want it to have exactly the right high quality equipment on it, and that's it. My magic wand would be to remove all the political crap that is in our hierarchy with our departments and just let me do my job. Let me come to work and let me do my job, which is I want to go on a fire truck go to calls and serve the public the best I can and don't handcuff me with what I can and can't do or what I can and can't say or just let me do my job and I'll do it for you every time, the best every time, without fail. Love it, all of those, right? I mean, we throw those all together and, and I think that's a lot of the hopes and dreams of everybody in the fire service, right? We're talking yeah. about the people and the training and the equipment and what the job actually means, right? And, and I agree with you, sometimes we forgot what the job actually means. There's a lot of stuff that's uh, getting in the way and you can watch all these social media feeds and what people are saying. And I think firefighters out there are saying the same thing. Let's, let's get back to the basics and do a good job and, and do it right with the right equipment. And so, Appreciate it. Right? With the right yeah, people. Right yeah, it's like, like, wow, it's like all right there for you. Boom, that was free. You can just listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's it. We've come to the end of our time. I can't believe the time flies, but uh, I really, again, I want to just say to all of you, thank you. Thank you for doing what you're doing. Thanks for, you know, taking the time to put it together in a book. Thanks for teaching the classes. Thanks for making the travels around and, and thanks for taking the time to share with everybody that's going to listen to this, you know, your piece of wisdom on all of this stuff. It's, well, uh, we wouldn't be able to share if it wasn't for you doing the sharing. So thank you for, yes. for getting the word out there to people and, and roping people into listening to it. And you're doing a great thing. So thank yeah, you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to Growing Up Fire today. Follow me on Instagram at Chief Coots to comment or send questions. We appreciate your support.